Please turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16. How does God deal with man? God deals with man by way of a covenant arrangement. And uh, you find this covenant being spelled out here in chapter 17 of Genesis. We start with 16. Your Bible is divided into Old Testament, New Testament, or Old Covenant, New Covenant. Really, it's one covenant with two administrations. We live under the new administration. God uh, had called Abraham, and in the 15th chapter, he had told Abraham that uh, he would give him a seed. He said, Abraham, your children, your descendants will be more numerous than the stars. And it says, Abraham believed God. And that was accounted to him for righteousness. But then, ten years go by and there's no son. And Abraham begins to waver in his faith. His, his faith is being tested. And at this point, uh, Sarah has a suggestion. Sarah, Abram's wife. Verse 1 of chapter 16. Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children. But she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that when I, that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarah. So he goes in unto her, and she does conceive, and bears a child. And she finds that when she conceives that she begins to become proud, and she despises her mistress, Hagar, uh, excuse me, Sarah. And Sarah is offended at this and approaches Abraham about it, and he says, well, she's your handmaiden, you do as you want to. So she deals harshly with her, and Hagar flees away into the wilderness. In uh, verse 7, we find the angel of the Lord appearing to Hagar. And uh, this angel says some unusual things. It says, The angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence comest thou? Whither goest thou? She said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under her hand. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, thou shalt bear a son, and shalt call his name Ishmael. He will be a wild man, and so on. Who is this angel of the Lord who will multiply her seed? Well, it's the Lord himself. This is the first time we've encountered this mysterious person. But here would be uh, one of those, the first of those appearances, and he will appear many times in your Old Testament. It's the Lord himself uh, called by that name. He's not an angel. He's God Almighty. May well be it's the second person of the Trinity. But look, verse 10, he says, I will multiply thy seed. In verse 13, she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou God seest me. Uh, so uh, this is the Lord himself. And uh, she does go back. 
The significance of this, Abraham, or Abram, does what we so often do. When our faith is tested, he begins to waver and he gets discouraged and he begins to reduce the promises of God. Uh, he begins to look for some way of manipulating to bring about what God has promised. Here's a girl who uh, has become a Christian and she's sincere in her walk. She wants a husband. She prays and she reads in Scripture where it says that a Christian is only to marry a Christian. We're free to marry only in the Lord, 1 Corinthians 7. And she said, well, God, that's the way I'm going to play the game. But then nothing happens. And uh, no Christian proposes. And as time goes on, why, uh, here's a, a non-Christian who's attractive and he begins to date her and he proposes to her. And she begins to say, well, you know, the unusual way we met, I know God brought us together. And I'm sure that uh, this is what God means for me to do. No, she's, she is beginning to hedge, she's beginning to manipulate, she's not trusting God, she's disobeying God uh, if she marries him. Here's a businessman who goes into business and he's determined that he's going to apply Christian principles in his business. But then his competitors don't and they're getting ahead of him. And, and uh, the first thing you know, he's very tempted to cut corners and he begins to do that and and reduces God's promises about seeking me first and my kingdom and all these things that you need shall be added unto you. Well, we see the uh, compromise with God's promise. Then you have the covenant with Abraham that God makes. In chapter 17, verse 1, when Abram was 90 years old and nine, 99, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Now that's the goal of the covenant. It's to restore us to our walk with God and to our um, righteousness, our original righteousness in a sense. We won't hit that in this life. We won't become perfect, but we will change and we will progress toward it. And the covenant is designed to accomplish this. You notice Abraham's 99 now. He was 86 in chapter 16. And uh, still uh, no son by Sarah. And uh, the parties of this covenant are Abraham and Abraham's seed on one side and God on the other. It's a it's not bilateral, it's unilateral. God makes the terms of the covenant. Verse 2, I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. In verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. Now, if you're a Christian, you're part of that covenant. You're Abraham's seed. In Galatians chapter 3 and uh, verse 7, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham. What, uh, what are the provisions of this promise? What would God do? 
Well, God promised that he would make Abraham the father of many nations. In verse 5, Neither shalt thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. He's not speaking of through Ishmael, through this child that Hagar bore, but he's talking about through Sarah he would be the father of many nations. In verse 15, he says, uh, As for Sarah thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall her name be. I will bless her and give thee a son also of her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings will come out of her. So he's speaking of descendants through Sarah. And that was fulfilled in physical descendants. She did have a son, Isaac, who had children and so on. The whole nation of Israel comes from him. But uh, also spiritual descendants, father of many nations. We are part of that seed of Abraham. And uh, God would establish his covenant with Abraham's seed in their generations to be a God to them. That's the basic promise. I will be a God to you and to your seed. I will do for you those things that a God should do. I will protect you. I will guide you. I will bless you. Uh, all of that, that's the core promise. And he said, I will establish it, not I will offer it to your children after you, and maybe they'll, some of them will accept it. I will establish it. I will bring it about. Now, that doesn't mean that God would establish that covenant with all of Abraham's physical descendants. It didn't mean that every physical descendant of Abraham would become a true believer, would experience that covenant as a life relationship. Every descendant of Abraham's would be born into it in a legal sense, would start off in the covenant. But not every one of them would actually be brought to spiritual life. You notice he says, about Abraham, he says, I'm not talking about Ishmael, I'm talking about Isaac. In verse 21, it says, uh, My covenant will I establish with Isaac. In verse 20, as for Ishmael, I've heard it. But I, he said, not Ishmael, but Isaac. And uh, when Isaac has children, uh, Jacob and Esau, Jacob was the one that God established that covenant with. So he wasn't saying, every child of yours is going to become a true believer. But still, it was a tremendous promise. Louis Burkhoff, famous theologian in his book, Systematic Theology, puts it like this. He says, is there any reasonable ground to expect that the covenant relationship will issue in a living communion? They'll have life. God desires that. The covenant relation shall issue. He desires that the covenant relation shall issue in a covenant life. And he himself guarantees by his promises pertaining to the seed of believers that this will take place, not in the case of every individual. But on the basis of the promise of God, we may believe that under a faithful administration of the covenant, you'd be faithful to your part of it. The covenant relation will, as a rule, 
a general rule, not an every case situation, but still in general, be fully realized in a covenant life. That's not a 100% promise, but it's a 90% promise. God didn't promise me that all my children would become Christians if I was faithful to raise them that way. You say, wait a minute, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he grows old, he will not depart from it. That's a proverb. We mustn't say proverbs are 100 absolute percent, 100 percent of the time, absolute cases. Proverb, early bird gets the worm. That's a proverb. Does the early bird always get the worm? No. But still, that's a truism. That's a general truth. And uh, when God says, I will establish my covenant with you and your seed after you, he's not saying every child of every believer will become a Christian if we are faithful to raise our children that way. But still, it's a tremendous promise. It's a general promise, a great promise. I'll talk more about that in a minute. But he also covenanted. He said, I will give you the land uh, that you're in. in chapter, in verse 8, to thy seed, thee and thy seed after thee. That land, land of Israel, and 2,000 years later, well, excuse me, 4,000 years later, Abraham's descendants, physical descendants, are in that land. 4,000 years later. After having been out of that land for 2,000 years, they're back in that land. But he wasn't just talking about that physical land. He was talking about heaven. Under the image of the land of Canaan, the promised land, God was promising another land. And so Abraham looked for another land, a city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He promises us heaven as part of this covenant when we believe in Jesus. And uh, that was what God would do. Well, what was Abraham supposed to do? In verse 9, God said to Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant. Therefore, thou and thy seed in their generations, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed. After thee, every man child among you shall be circumcised. And uh, verse 11, this shall be a sign, a token of the covenant. Verse 12, he that is eight days old shall be circumcised. Every man child in your generations. Abraham was number one to engage in the ceremony of circumcision. And that symbolized the circumcision of the heart. The new birth, the taking out of my old heart, of my... Uh, breaking the back of my sinful nature and giving me a new nature. That's the blessing of the covenant. What does God do in this covenant? Well, he gives me a new heart. He makes a new man out of me. He places his Holy Spirit in me. Uh, and that's symbolized by outward circumcision, the putting away of the flesh, the old flesh. It was a bloody sign back then because God would do all of this through the blood of his son Jesus Christ who would come and die for their sins Abraham's, Isaac's, Jacob's and my sins and your sins and that's how God establishes this covenant uh, the, uh, 
There's a little book out, Dr. Law and Dr. Grace, by the evangelist Lester Roloff. Lester Roloff says, I had a problem and I went to the doctor and I said, Doctor, I got a problem with my tongue. Keep saying the wrong thing. He said, no, your real problem is your heart. No, doctor, it's my, my eyes. They keep looking at the wrong thing. No, your real problem is your heart. Doctor, my real problem is my feet. They keep going the wrong place. No, your real problem is your heart. Doctor, I'm going to another doctor. He said, go ahead. He went to, he, Dr. Law said, go ahead. The woods are full of them. So I went down the street to Dr. Religion. And I said, Dr. Religion, I got a problem with my tongue and my eyes and my feet. And he said, you really do. He says, what you need is to join a church. So I joined the church. And, but it didn't help. So I came back and I said, Doctor, I still got a problem. He said, did you get baptized? Well, no. So I got baptized. Still didn't help. And so then I went to Dr. Do Good and Be Good. And that didn't help either. Finally, I went back to Dr. Law. Dr. Law, maybe you're right. He said, I know I'm right. Well, it's what I need. You need a hard operation. Well, when are you going to operate? I don't operate. You don't know. Dr. Grace operates. So he took me across the hall and he introduced me to Dr. Grace. And uh, Dr. Grace uh, said he would operate. And I said, well, how much is it going to cost? He said, it's already been paid for. It's free. Who paid for it? A friend of yours. And then he laid me on the table. And I just lay down by faith and trusted Dr. Grace. And he cut open my chest and he took out the smelliest, blackest heart. And uh, he gave me a clean new heart. And then he introduced me to the person who'd paid for my operation. And he had uh, nail prints in his hands and scars on his head where a crown of thorns had been placed there. Then he took me across the hall back to Dr. Law. And you know, Dr. Law, who used to be pretty ugly, now was pretty handsome. He was really a handsome-looking fellow. And I said, Dr. Law, I want to thank you so much for introducing me to Dr. Grace. Well, salvation is a gift. It's by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, who paid for our sins. Uh, he gives us a new heart. because we live under the new administration of this same covenant. And uh, so no, our signs are no longer bloody signs. We no longer shed blood. The blood's been shed. Christ has died. And the sign of the new administration is baptism. And that's why we baptize infants. An infant was to be circumcised. An infant is to be baptized. Uh, because uh, they are in the covenant as a legal thing for the time being. Baptism pictures the exact same thing as circumcision. It pictures the baptism of the Spirit. His Spirit coming to live within me, changing me, giving me a new heart, a new nature, empowering me to live differently. So the first thing he was to do was to uh, keep the covenant in the sense of the sign. The second thing in chapter 18 and verse 19, God says about Abraham, He says, I know Abraham uh, that he will command his children and his household after him and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. Notice, notice God's faithfulness and man's faithfulness are linked together. I know Abraham that he will command his children that they keep my ways that I may bring upon Abraham that which I promised. 
How do you command your children? Well, you do it by example, as you model walking with the Lord. You do it by prayer. You do it by teaching them about Dr. Law and Dr. Grace, Jesus. You do it by uh, disciplining them when they don't obey. That's your part. Your part is to see that your children wear the sign of the covenant and then to see that you command them to keep the Lord's way. That's your part of the covenant. God says, I will establish. You say, but it's not 100%. I will. That's right. It's 90%. A 90% promise. I have a friend who had two children, and when they were born, he was told that his children had a congenital problem. They had a chemical imbalance, and uh, that as they matured, they would be retarded. But if he kept them on a strict diet while they were younger, that the chances were, let's say 90%, very good chance, that by the time they were teenagers, this, con- this condition would have corrected itself and there wouldn't be any lasting ill effect. But since it wasn't 100% promise, he decided not to even try it. No. He latched hold of that promise with all of his force. And he kept his children on that diet. And as they matured, that, cor- that condition corrected itself. But see, my children were born with a congenital problem, a black heart, a sinful nature, fallen children of fallen Adam. But God says to me, since I'm a Christian, that if I would keep them on a strict diet, if I would discipline them, if I would pray over them, if I would model for them the Christian faith, if I'd teach them about Jesus, that chances were 90% that he would bring them to a living relationship with Christ, that he'd work that circumcision of the heart, that new birth, and change their lives. And what started off as a legal covenant would come become a covenant of life, a living relationship. So I took him up on that, and he was so gracious. And early in life, each, each of my children experience that miracle of the new birth. Well, it all comes about through Jesus. Jesus said, uh, this cup of the new covenant, is, this cup is my, my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. This establishes the new covenant. Uh, this establishes this covenant of grace. So as you partake... What you're doing is you're saying, I believe in this covenant. I'm going to live by this covenant. I'm going to do my end of it. And I trust you to do your end of it. In my life and in my children, I recommit myself to you who shed your blood for me. And of course, if you're not a Christian, why, you really don't want to partake of this, the Lord's Supper, as a danger of drinking judgment to yourself. But what you want to do is go to Dr. Grace. And have that heart operation. Go to Jesus and say, Lord, I've got a problem with my eyes and my tongue and my feet. But I understand it's really a heart problem. And that you died to give me life, to change me. And I want you to do it in my life right now. I trust you. I get on the table. 
Take out my heart. Give me that new heart. Let us pray. As our hearts are bound, uh, if you're a Christian, are you commanding your children after you, as Abraham did? Are you being faithful to your end of the covenant? Now is a good time to examine yourself and uh, to deal with any wrong, to confess it. And to recommit yourself to your aspect of walking before God and seeking to be perfect. And of seeking to lead your family in the way of the Lord. And maybe you're a child and you have been rebellious. And you need to deal with that. Maybe you're not a Christian and you need to go to Dr. Grace right now and get on the table. Ask Jesus to do the heart operation. Pray in your heart like this, Lord Jesus, I need that heart operation. I thank you for dying to provide it. And I do trust you now to come into my life, to give me a new heart, to take my old heart, to forgive my sin, and I purpose to obey you. Amen.